Hello and welcome to River Talk, where we sit down with some of the Rivertown area's most interesting and notable people. Today I am joined by the founder of Peekskill Walks and a current mayoral candidate in the city, Mr. Connor Green. Connor, thank you so much for sitting down with me. So glad to be here, Christian. Thanks. So I think most people in Peekskill, if they're aware of you or if they've been aware of you previously, they know you through your work with Peekskill Walks. Can you tell us a little bit about the organization, how it got started, and what it does. Yeah, absolutely. So Peekskill Walks is a bunch of residents who are just working to make our city a little safer, a little easier to get around, and also to bring neighbors together, get some life in our downtown, hold events, and um, just build strong community. And really, we came together um, as a result of the community congress process that happened a few years ago. And that was a great chance for residents to sort of say what their priorities are for Peekskill and what their ideas are for the future. And two neighbors, Greg Gutis and Margaret Steele, both got up and sort of said Peekskill is walkable by default, but it's not pedestrian friendly. And I really agreed with them. And um, a lot of people voted for that priority in in the whole process. And so I, I went up to them afterwards and I said, let's bring residents together around this issue and, and let's see what we can do to, to elevate these issues of walkability, accessibility, and safe streets in general. So it started with the three of us sitting around a Peekskill coffee house, just kind of coming up with ideas, and it quickly grew from there. A lot of people started to get involved. We have a, a great group of about nine people who are sort of the steering committee, the executive committee of, of the nonprofit, which was really exciting. And we've just been working on a lot of different projects since then. The word walkability comes up a lot. Could you elaborate a little more on that? What makes a city walkable? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, It is sort of a buzzword these days in local politics and in urban planning. I think really the way our cities have been designed over the last couple of decades, it's been suburban sprawl. You're either in a city or you're somewhere where you have to get into your car to go anywhere. And peak skills kind of in the middle ground. And a lot of people are are looking for that sort of middle ground where you can get around on foot, you can get around your neighborhood, you can walk to a park, you can walk to downtown. Peekskill, one of its best attributes is that you can be in nature in five minutes or you could be at the train station or you could be downtown. And I think there's a lot of reasons why people are looking for that now. It's, It's better for community. It's better for the environment. It's just a good quality of life. And walkable places are really in demand now. And unfortunately, that means they tend to be expensive to live in. And I I think here in Peekskill, we we have a great thing going where we have the best of both worlds. And right now, you can get around on foot, but it's not always safe. It's, It's not always pleasant. And those are the things that we can improve on. One of the most visible accomplishments of Peekskill Walks has been Esther Place, the pedestrian plaza next to the coffee house in downtown. Uh, tell me a little bit about how that came to be and why you did what you did with it. Yeah, that, that was a great community project. A lot of people involved in making that happen. Going back to the early days of Peekskill Walks, we'd be looking out the window at the coffee house and we'd be saying that street could be much better utilized if it was a space for people. It was basically kind of a cut through. It was a back alley, a place for trash and a place for deliveries. So residents got together through Peekskill Walks and we put together a formal proposal to the city, complete with engineering input, architect input, a lot of 
different people working on this plan um, to address all the different, it's not as easy as just closing the street. There's a lot of different things to keep in mind. And of course, starting with the businesses, have to make sure that it would benefit them. So working really closely with, with City Hall, City Manager Andy Stewart played a huge role in this, working closely with the businesses and then with support from hundreds of residents, lots of community groups. We were able to get the council to close the space. And then what was really great was we built this space out at no cost to the taxpayers. So donations from the community, benches from the museum, a couple of picnic tables the city had. We had an artist paint the barriers with a donation from a resident. The bike store donated a bike rack. So it was really just this great process of people pitching in. And we went from what was a street that just wasn't needed in terms of our traffic flow and, and how traffic moves through our downtown. And it became this space where people now can just go and sit there. Um, it's great for the businesses, but it's also a public space that people can just go and relax and, and hang out, not to mention all the great events that have happened there as well. You definitely had to jump through a lot of bureaucratic hoops to get something like this done and had to work alongside the Peekskill government. Was this your first kind of experience with government? Uh, how far back does your government connection go? <laughs> right. So I've, I've worked really closely through Peekskill Walks with City Hall, and whether that's the police department, planning department, city manager, we've really got a great working relationship. But really, my, my sort of career going back has, has always been centered around local government and community. So it's kind of similar work that I've done professionally. I started out doing community journalism, covering planning board and town council meetings and looking at budgets and letting residents know what their local government was doing. And from there, I worked for this New York City Council for five years as a council staffer doing communications, doing constituent type services. That was a great insight being in government and seeing how does a council member and how do city agencies work on behalf of the residents and how can uh, local government sort of improve community problems and issues. And then from there, I worked in nonprofits, homeless services, supportive housing with an organization called the Doe Fund, and then community development type projects with another nonprofit. So really, my whole kind of professional career has centered around community issues and how can government really work for people on the local level. Mostly it's been on the outside, sort of agitating or advocating. So doing that kind of work in the community is something I enjoy. So now you're running for mayor. Where did it come from? What inspired you to take this very big step? Right. Despite having always worked in and around government, I, I never pictured myself running for office. And I, maybe people say that, but over the past year, there's been issues and decisions made by the local council that a lot of people have disagreed with. People feel like there isn't enough forward-looking, progressive, kind of grassroots, community-based governance. And there could be and there should be on the local level. So I got together with residents who were fighting for better affordable housing. We don't have a, an ordinance requiring private developers to put affordable units in new development. And we should. And there's been one discussed now. But frankly, it doesn't even go far enough. And that's part of why we're running. There was the issue over the decision to sell public land on Central Avenue, a parcel of land that we all own collectively for a private development. And the developer offered the council two options. One was basically for middle-class type housing, and one was for high-end. And there was a lot of us in the community who felt like if we're going to sell public land, there should be a public benefit. 
and we made our voices known to the council that you should be supporting middle class, working class housing, not high end housing. And they made the decision for, for the high end housing and a lot of people just thought that that was the wrong decision. Personally, I feel like I have a good working relationship with City Hall, but I don't think that the issues of mobility and accessibility and access to public space and different issues like that have been at the forefront like they could and they should be. So long story short, residents did get together. A a group of of very active, progressive, community-minded people got together and they said, voters should have a choice, residents should have a choice. I absolutely believe that primary campaigns are a good thing for democracy and even for the local party. We have seen now people engaged, signing petitions, going to events, aware that there's a primary, and talking about the issues. And I think this is a good thing. So I think what I'd stress is that me running and and our slate in general really did come from a community process where people got together and said, these issues are important to us. They're not being prioritized. Let's put together a group of people who've been working on on issues, who care about their community, and give people a choice this June in, in the primary. So you have a very interesting team running with you, very diverse backgrounds. Tell me a little bit about them and how you guys came together. Yeah, I'm really proud to be part of this ticket. Um, It's ticket that is really just community-minded. Council member Vanessa Agadello has been fighting for these issues, often the lone voice on, on the council, fighting for greater affordability and tenants' protections and all kinds of important issues. Amy Perlow is somebody that I met as a result of our advocacy around housing and our push for greater affordability, and she's got a tremendous education background and fighting for making sure students are prepared through their education. Um, Amy Vele is just a great community person as well who has been involved in local democratic politics. She got a lot of experience running the PDCC's campaign a couple of years ago. She works for county legislator Colin Smith. She is seen like I did, how government works firsthand and how it can work for people. Um, she's also a great advocate for bridging the different communities in peak skill. Unfortunately, in a lot of ways, we do sort of live separately. Um, and she's really working to make sure, first of all, that City Hall does serve everyone through better language services, better translation services, and then also just how can we bring our communities together a, a little better. So really, really proud to, to be part of this ticket. We're, we're centering our campaign around housing, around community-centered equitable growth, around open government, and, and we also just put out a really, really strong environmental platform, really calling for achievable but bold and aggressive steps. Well, I wanted to ask you about that as well. Environmental issues are something you've really centered on and made a big part of your campaign. Tell us a little bit about why you think that's so important, particularly for your town and our area. Yeah, definitely. Environmental issues are kind of a catch-all that all these different things we're looking at really feed into, whether it's better standards for new buildings to demand more aggressive green-type building codes, whether it's pushing for a more walkable mobile city, which would reduce our short car trips. Peekskill is an environmental justice community where we have disproportionately borne the brunt of things like Wheelabrator being in our backyard. It's the largest polluter in Westchester by sixfold, and we are burning trash 
from Greenwich, Connecticut, and from all over the tri-state area, and we're paying the price. Our residents are paying the price. We have higher levels of asthma and emergency room visits due to asthma. We have endless truck traffic going down Main Street, affecting people in Bowman Towers and in senior housing. These are real issues. We can take steps locally, and we have to for the sort of big picture climate change. We all have a responsibility on, on the local level, and each municipality needs to be doing what they can, but it's, it's even more than that in Peekskill. We need to start having a conversation saying, you know, Peekskill will share the burden with other municipalities, but it, it shouldn't be unfairly shouldering it. So things like a sustainability coordinator is a small investment we can make as a city that would unlock uh, funding, grants, things that would over time be a good investment. And the idea is to get each city agency to be looking through lens of sustainability and of through environmental protections in, instead of having it kind of be like a siloed type topic. It's something that everyone in government needs to be talking about and every little department can help. Your number one issue, or at least the thing that I've heard the most out of your slate, is the idea of equitable housing and responsible development. Peekskill is an area like a lot of other areas around here that are going to be experiencing a lot of development in the years to come. How do you see being able to do that in an equitable way? Yeah, this is the biggest issue. First of all, housing, to me, it's it's a human right. Everyone should have safe, secure housing they can afford. And I think one of the biggest failures of, of our government, of our society over probably the last 30, 40 years is we stopped building housing. It's a supply and demand issue. There's huge demand, whether it's in New York City and, and people being forced out there, but even in Peekskill, people want to live in Peekskill. It is a great place. It has a lot going for it. And it has unique attributes that not every town has. So to me, an issue that's kind of really been reinforced over COVID and, and sort of all these social issues, I feel like have kind of come out. And I feel incredibly fortunate to have a great house in an amazing neighborhood here in Peekskill, surrounded by neighbors that, that I know and I trust. I can afford to make the payment, and it's something we shouldn't take for granted. Um, it's something I learned working at the Doe Fund in, in Homeless Services, living in the city paycheck to paycheck as as a community reporter. It's got to be the number one issue, and, and it's it's not Peekskill's responsibility to solve a regional or a nationwide housing crisis, but we do have to play a part. And, and at the same time, we can also benefit. So going back to the growth issue, we all see that Peekskill is growing. There's development pressure. There's a lot of proposals coming. There's a lot of apartments in the pipeline and there's properties that are going to be developed. It's just in inevitable. They're owned by private companies and they're zoned to be developed. But we can really benefit from this as a city if we do this planning smart in a forward thinking way. So that's when it, it comes back to what we're calling equitable growth, community centered growth. So it starts with our city's master plan. It dates back to 1968. So all, all our codes and our zoning and sort of our vision for how our city would develop is frozen in a time when we were tearing down historic buildings and we are planning around the car and we need to update that so it's a process that we would like to do over a few years with grant money but also in a participatory community driven way where people can come to events and say this is what I like about my neighborhood this is what my neighborhood needs this is what I see in my mind as the future of peak skill and not everyone's vision will be the same and there's a lot of forces that go into this but the point is we're going to grow a lot and 
we can bring in a lot of housing and we can do it in a way that doesn't overwhelm our environment and it doesn't overwhelm our city services and it adds to our community. It brings in more people that will then ideally get involved and, and add to peak skill. It goes back to little things like if we're going to add thousands of apartments in the coming decade, which we're on track to do, we have to think about do we really want to add thousands and thousands of cars also to our streets? And that's what our codes require right now. So I, I want us to think about ideas like if we're going to develop along Railroad Ave and Water Street and leading into town, we should have developers now paying into a fund to subsidize a shuttle service. So then we could reduce the parking, we could have people living there in one-car households, and we won't overwhelm our, our streets and our environment unnecessarily. A shuttle between downtown and the waterfront would also solve that whole problem of the disconnect between our two commercial areas. We have thousands of people who show up on nice days over the summer, and they don't even realize there's a town beyond Central Avenue. We have to think about kind of all these issues all together, but it does go back to planning, and it's not the most exciting issue, but I think it's actually something that people have been talking to me about a lot on a campaign trail is, wow, our city is growing a lot, like what's going to happen? And another big issue that your slate has speaking about recently is marijuana legalization, which is now the law of the land in New York State, but each town will have the ability to opt out of allowing marijuana-based businesses within their borders. And Progress for Peekskill has come out overwhelmingly in support of opting in. Tell me a little bit about why you guys took that stance. Yeah, first, the, the legislation was long overdue. You know, we need to be clear about this. Uh, marijuana prohibition was racist. The war on drugs is racist. For years and years, if you look at the stats, white people smoke at the same rates as black and brown people, and they don't get arrested. So I want to first give a big shout out to the advocates and the elected officials in Albany who made sure that this bill was actually grounded in some elements of some restorative justice and investing back into communities like Peekskill that have been harmed over years by this war on drugs. The bill was only what it was because of the hard work of, of the advocates and of elected officials who recognize that this has to be more than just a revenue source. With that said, it would be a major mistake for Peekskill to opt out. It's legal now. I think it would be short-sighted. I, I think that there's a lot of ways that Peekskill can benefit from this. It's a lot of revenue. And let's be honest, anytime that there's ideas or programs or services that people want to institute, there just isn't money for it. So having a revenue stream like this directed into services and programs that then go back into elevating the communities that have been harmed, whether it's job training, education, but also the opportunity to be part of this economy that's coming. And, and that's the other thing is by not opting out, we would get probably a, a couple of dispensaries. But again, through zoning, all of that is regulated. You're not going to get a dispensary on every corner. The state is giving out a limited number of licenses. So having a couple downtown or in other commercial areas of the city that, that makes sense would be good. But then there's going to be a lot of spillover effect from that. More foot traffic, more people coming here. I've heard from a number of Peekskill residents who currently drive to Massachusetts now 
to purchase their marijuana legally. And it's similar type towns, these kind of downtowns that are trying to revitalize. And you end up going out to eat, you end up doing some window shopping, it brings in money. But there's other parts of the economy we have to look at. Um, it could be growing and, and nurseries and warehousing, distribution. There's a lot of different jobs that, that could come out of this. So I think it's important that Peekskill just be realistic about that this is here, people are doing it, we can put it in in a controlled way with a lot of oversight, but we shouldn't miss out on the opportunity to benefit our, our tax base in our town, but also to create this revenue that could go into programs that are creating jobs on the local level, education opportunities. That's the important piece is where the money ends up going, assuming that we don't make the mistake of opting out. So finally, on the national and the local level, you've been seeing a lot of instances of establishment Democrats being challenged by a progressive wing and a lot of times succeeding. Is that something that you look at and you see as as something inspiring? And do you think that that is good for the Democratic Party? It's definitely good. The impact of more progressive Democrats with different new ideas challenging long entrenched office holders has had a real impact. If we didn't have primaries, we would still have Joe Crowley representing a district in Queens that he hadn't lived in for years. Instead, we have AOC who is much more in touch with the communities that that she's representing. And going back to the budget successes, I should give my running mate, Vanessa Agadello, a huge shout out because as part of her day job with the New York Immigration Coalition, they won a major, major budget victory, billions of dollars to go to our frontline workers who've been left out of unemployment um, if they're undocumented, if they weren't eligible, but still showed up to work throughout this whole pandemic. And the reason that those fights were successful and, and marijuana legalization and taxing the rich and these types of things that have overwhelming support, they are only happening now in Albany because of a number of, of primaries that have happened over the last few years um, in Queens and Brooklyn. We've seen the impact now is real. So I think that people should be skeptical of elected officials who don't want to put their record up for public scrutiny or afraid of, of new ideas and new people. If I'm elected, then I would absolutely expect and have no issue then with new ideas and primaries and all of that. It's a good thing, and we are seeing the effects of it. Right now, I would like to introduce a brand new segment on our show. I have a, a new intern. His name is Ian Riley, and I'm going to hand the microphone over to him for the hardest-hitting part of this interview, Ian's five questions. Ian, take it away. Welcome to the big show. All right, Connor, so you're running for mayor. This is a very prominent position in many real societies and pieces of media. So who is your favorite mayor, real or fictional? On the real side, I've been reading a lot about John Lindsay and um, the impact he had on, on a lot of these issues we've been talking about, uh, especially housing and um, how he interacted with the community. Let's see, in terms of fictional, I mean, in terms of pop culture mayors, it's, it's hard not to think of Mayor Quimby. Of course. You know, yeah. I mean, that's sort of the mayor you aspire not to be compared to. Um, I, we, we probably shouldn't talk about my monorail idea <laughs> in that case. It'll, it'll bring a lot of jobs to the city, and it'll be a perfectly safe monorail. You know, it's more of a Yorktown idea. More of a Yorktown idea. Next question. Who is your favorite Connor? I'm not thinking of any other Connors. 
if the answer is you, that's kind of what I was hoping. Terrible for. answer. Though, that's a great so answer. Conceited. That's a good answer. Uh, how about this? I am looking forward to putting the name Connor on the map politically, locally, and, and we'll see if there's many other Connors to, to come after me in local politics. We love to hear that. We rented out a theater for your birthday. Surprise. What movie are we watching? I'd probably just say throw Ghostbusters or, or Back to the Future, something like that up there, you know, especially if it's a birthday party, you know, you want something that, uh, like, you kind of cheer at your favorite lines and, and that kind of thing. So you are, you're working on your master's uh, for city planning from Hunter College. What would you say is the best planned city you've been to? I think, to me, it goes back to New York. Mm -hmm. Grid system, big park in the middle, best city in the world. Exactly, ain't broke. Here's the real hard-hitting question. The city of New York has just about had it with James Dolan. As a result, the Rangers and Knicks are being relocated to Westchester. Given your love of the New York Rangers and knowledge of city planning, the county has tasked you with choosing a location for a new 20,000-seat arena. Where's it going? That's a great question. First of all, I'm very glad that the city council has finally ended Dolan's tax exemption. That's good hypothetical news. I actually think that Peekskill would be amazing for like a minor league type sports team. Like a little baseball stadium, a little hockey rink, something. I think the city and, and the surrounding areas would get really into that, but I don't know if it could host a 20,000-person full arena. Um, I still like the idea of a downtown urban-type arena along the train line. You know, so I feel like we'd be looking to maybe tear down a bunch of parking garages in White Plains and, and put it there. That was my intern, Ian, with his inaugural five questions. I think that was awesome, and I look forward to uh, another segment. Well, Connor, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting about the issues in your career. It's been a, a great conversation. Thanks, Christian. Yeah, thanks for having me. I love talking about this stuff, so thanks for having me on. In the interest of full disclosure, I have to reveal that in my capacity as an event planner, I did work with Peekskill Walks last year to organize an outdoor movie series. Of course, as a journalist, I make no political endorsements, but will shamelessly plug the services of Captain Good Times Entertainment, which you can learn more about at Captain Good Times. That's C A P N GoodTimes.com. River Talk is a production of River Towns Media, publisher of River Journal and River Journal North. For more information, check out RiverJournalOnline.com slash RiverTalk. Do you know someone from the area who would make a great guest on our show? Let us know at rivertalk at rivertownsmedia.com. River Talk is executive produced by Alan Begun and Bruce Apar of River Towns Media. Our intern is Ian Riley. I'm Christian Larson, and I'll see you next time. Music